Welcome to E-Commerce with Coffee, a podcast powered by Amber Engine, where we share e-com secrets for brands over your favorite brew. We start with the caffeine and then leap enthusiastically into behind-the-scenes e-com insights that led to the success of our guests. I'm Nate Svoboda, and I'm about to serve you up the best. Let's get started. Welcome to e-commerce with coffee. Today, I get to speak with Greg Moore. He is the CEO of Fit3D and Wear, um, and he wants to help brands make clothing that's tailored to their consumers, and everyone's going to know why that's actually kind of funny in a little bit here. Um, but size and fit are a huge focus for fashion and apparel execs, right? So, you know, my understanding, Greg has the goal of measuring every human body on earth. So really excited to dive into that and the problems that you've set out to solve. Greg, welcome to the show. Awesome, Nate. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, we couldn't be more passionate about uh, just solving fit. It's been a, been, a, been a problem since the late 1800s, and it, it needs a resolution. We're finally here for it. It's, it's interesting. I mean, I, that's something I've only really thought about recently, how something as minute as, you know, how snug around the arm, you know, the arm opening of a T-shirt is and, and all those little things. So I'm, I'm really excited to hear what you guys are doing to, to enable brands to make a better experience for the consumers. But before we dive into it, you're a busy guy. I imagine that caffeine, well, you have three very, very active young boys. I imagine caffeine must play some role in your life. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, I don't think life would happen without caffeine, <laughs> but it, it's funny. Um, I was probably that guy that drank about six, seven cups a day pre-COVID, okay. and then all of a sudden we started working from home, and it's not that I slept anymore, but then it was like I had a cup in the morning, and that was kind of it. Um, and it was it's really weird. You would think that having this home time with a coffee pot, just you know, right downstairs, would actually increase that, but I it, it was weird. I, but I really appreciate it. I've, um, some su substantial health benefits based on it. So that's pretty cool. Oh, a hundred percent. Do you have caffeine is a necessary part of life. That's for sure oh. in the morning. Oh yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm in that boat a hundred percent. Do you have any particular way that you prefer to drink your coffee if you make it at home? Or are you just a normal Keurig guy? Yeah, I'm uh, the good old, uh, what do we do? Pete's Sumatra okay. and uh, the single origin blend and our little, you know, coffee pot with some uh, hazelnut creamer. I'm a pretty happy man. Very nice. Keeping it simple. I, I like to do yeah. cold coffee, so I just brew it cold, but I don't do anything super go. fancy. I'd love to get an espresso yeah. machine, but I don't know. We'll see if that's for a future yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, totally. Cappuccinos are my go-to if I'm out, but if I'm in, it's just a good old Americana. No, hey, I hear that. Um, well, Greg, you know, before we you know dive into the meat of our content, would love if you could just talk a little bit about your background, right? You know, you played baseball in college, you majored in computer engineering, and then you know now you've developed this awesome technology to help measure the human body. So maybe you know, give us an idea of you know what brought you to the path of Fit 3D and where, and then maybe talk a little bit about what they are, respectively. Yeah, really. Uh, it's a it's a very circuitous story, um, so I'll try to keep it succinct because we could take probably the whole time doing just that. But uh, no, I yeah, I, I in college um, I started doing computer engineering. Um, I actually started a PhD program in computer engineering with a focus on uh, distributed sensor networks and computer vision. And after uh, the first year of it, sitting in a lab for sixteen hours a day, I was like, nope, this is not for me. I can't do it. Um, so I actually went to uh, to industry and worked for a company called Sport Vision. Um, and if anybody watches sports, you've seen sort of what that company does. But they do like the yellow line um, in football games, um, the yellow first down line, the pointers to NASCARs. And then I was responsible for the, the baseball product lines there. Um, and so we invented all the pitch tracking technology, 
hit ball tracking technology and eventually player tracking technology. Um, and what was really interesting about me as an engineer was that I, I probably came at engineering from more of a uh, more well-rounded, like how is the data used? How is the solution used? Just because I had a lot of real-world experience like in baseball. And, um, you know, we sat there and we were looking at what we are doing. I was like, but we have the only objective data source in baseball ever, right? Everything else in, in baseball is subjective. Um, it's batting average on base percentage, right? It has all these other things to do with other, um, other bits in the field. And, for example, if I'm looking at a ball flying through the air, I'm looking at spin rate, velocity, acceleration vectors, everything else, right? Um, it's how this pitcher interacted with this ball, which didn't really exist. Um, so anyway, I, I kind of got this um, really exciting itch to package this data up and to sell it back to teams through insights and analytics for coaching, scouting, recruiting, trades, injury prevention, whatever. And if you if you ever saw the movie Moneyball, right, this is like Moneyball 2.0, right? It's actually Moneyball, but using like objective data sources to actually run baseball. Totally, the game's totally different. You walk into front offices now, and instead of you know, you know, fifty scouts sitting in there flying all over the country, these folks are looking at objective data sources through data science, um, which is really cool. So anyway, um, after being in that business for quite some time, um, I was kind of ready for my uh, transition out, and um, I really wanted to start my own business, and I was kind of looking for different opportunities. And it was interesting because my, my mom was actually, this is a whole departure from what we're doing now, but my mom was actually struggling with weight loss. Um, and she went through and got a nutritionist and a trainer um, that really changed her life, right? Um, and I started going home and I'd see her every couple months. And like, I mean, she was fitting inside of her own body, which was amazing. But all of a sudden her weight stopped going down. It just plateaued, even though like she was just still shrinking. It was, it was amazing. But she got totally disgruntled and quit the whole program. And I was like, man, like if your body can go through such amazing um, evolutions and such healthy evolutions, but you can't even see that because you're tracking this one number on the scale, that's a problem. So we kind of looked at 3D body scanning. I was like, all right, this is really interesting. It solves my mom's problem. It doesn't really exist at scale, but where's the data play, right? Because again, I, I love the data side of things. And I was like, oh my goodness, nobody's ever captured this data source on the global population. It didn't exist. Um, and so when we're thinking about how products are designed to fit the human body, how products are sold to fit the human body, like they were just basically guesses. Um, and that was substantiated by the fact that I would go in and talk to executives like PBH and Nike and whatever else. And I was like, hey, you know, can you tell me about the body shapes of your shoppers? Like, we have no idea. <laughs> um, I was like, oh my goodness, this is crazy. So we started this business, um, you know, Fit3D and Wear, and the general thesis behind it was to deploy body scanners all over the world, start collecting data on human bodies, and then providing those people services in the digital world as they um, transition from digital to real world, right? Because e-commerce was on the rise. Um, lo and behold, we've deployed thousands of scanners and scanned millions of bodies, but there's billions of people, right? So we're like, all right, let's lean into predictive technology. And that was kind of the, uh, the foundational layer of Wear, um, which again really helps with uh, shoppers to order the best fitting sizes. So fun circular story, um, but it all really comes down to data, right? It's how do you collect this really unique set of data and then how do you provide uh, value uh, based on the data that's being collected and does that value then unlock these opportunities for these industries to scale in different ways? Um, and that's something that I'm really passionate about. Yeah, no, it's interesting. So tell me a little bit more about with Fit3D. So, you know, w 
the goal, and I don't know if this is still sort of your your um, the BHAG, right, the big, hairy, audacious goal, mm-hmm. but, like, to measure every human body in the world, right? Do you what, – what was the – the thought process behind where you're going to put them. I mean, it's, I imagine probably out of the price range of somebody putting in their, you know, just average home. Right. So I guess, help me understand that portion. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Cause we, we looked at that industry quite a bit, um, at that home, um, body scanners and we actually turned it down because at the end of the day, you have to deploy hardware to everybody's house. Um, then you have to support that hardware and people's bodies don't change that fast. Right. It's not like your daily weight fluctuation because of water. Um, and so really when we started deploying these things, we saw that people generally take scans about once a quarter to once every six months. Um, and that would be about the time in which their body would change. And so based on that, um, we made the decision to deploy it to corporate wellness. So this is fitness, this is weight loss, chiropractic, physical therapy, um, even some maternity wards have it to track sort of like pregnancy changes in the body. Um, but the, the primary driver there is that these businesses are all built around the fact that a consumer is going into their doors to change something around their body shapes, right? And so they needed tools to track that, to help to retain those members longer, and then to show them that they could progress. We, on the other hand, wanted the consumers, right? We wanted the users to be users of our platform um, so that we can then enrich their services with other stuff. Um, and you know, gym chains and corporate wellness, it's super fragmented. Um, so we could go in, we could basically sell this machine. They would use it to massively increase their membership, to increase their retention, to get people into higher tier programs. And then we would use the data anonymously, right, to provide these other services through um, through where. Um, and so that's that's kind of been the vision, the business model. And really leaning into like, you know, privacy is such a big deal and it, it really is and needs to be. So making sure that we adhere to all of the privacy uh, laws and regulations and, and if not more um, out there to provide these services to the different groups of consumers that we need. But yeah, that was kind of the vision behind it. Um, and it, it so far has worked pretty well. Uh, pretty yeah, excited. no, absolutely. I mean, I, I can only imagine, right? I mean, people's bodies change over the course of their life. And, you know, depending on where you live in the world, that body cycle will be different, right? Mm-hmm. So I mean, there's in, in, there's infinite variations to you know the the changes that the human body undergoes. Um, so I think we've already kind of tangentially discussed this, but you know, if you could really synthesize down for us, why do consumers need or or would want to have their uh, measurements digitized, right? What are the benefits that they actually get out of this? Yeah, I mean, there's there's the immediate benefit of just knowing. <laughs> Um, but when we, when we look at how consumers are using our platform, we see that they're really interested in their body scan, right? It's a total digitization of you, right? Just looks just like you. It's just look just like your shape. But then we capture about 400 measurements on that body totally autonomously. And then we process things like body composition, right? So what's your body fat percentage? We capture things and process them like what's your posture, right? Are you imbalanced? Are you shifted? Are you leaning one way or the other? What's your weight and balance as opposed to as associated with that posture? And then the big one is change, right? So when you think about this, if you can scan your body over and over and over again, and then compare any two bodies of yours <clears throat> at different stages of your life, you can then start to see how that body is changing. It was a longitudinal history book of your body, which never existed, right? We always have that in the mirror, but the mirror doesn't have any history. It doesn't remember anything. Um, so it's on us to remember sort of what we look like. And so we provide that visual representation 
at a periodic time in your body that you can continue to track against. It tells a story about you. And the, the biggest thing, again, in commercial wellness is that I'm paying somebody money to change my body, right? And um, I want to hold them accountable and I need to hold myself accountable, right? Because at the end of the day, I may be with this weight loss person or this nutritionist for a couple hours a week, you know, but there's still 100 hours a week that I'm not with them that I need to make good decisions. Um, so it's sort of this digital receipt um, for both yourself and for um, and for your your uh, your trainer, your nutritionist. Yeah. Now on the wear side, right? The other part of it is that when you go shopping online, <clears throat> how many times you go there and you look at a size shirt and you're like, I, I have no idea. <laughs> Um, I don't have a tape measure in my house, um, and I run a body scanning company. I don't have a tape measure. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's not even a tape measure. It's one of those fancy, like, tailor, yeah, right. you know, cloth tape thingies. Totally. And then if I had one, like, how would I know how to use it and then correlate the measurements back there, right? So when you start to think about how measurements can be valuable to the rest of your life, apparel shopping is a prime example of that, Right. If I can use those measurements to make my life easier and making the purchasing decisions that I'm making and not have to return as much, I'm now therefore more sustainable, I'm more satisfied as a shopper, right? So there's all these other benefits that you get out of having a digital um, receipt for the body measurements uh, of yourself. A hundred percent. If I could... If I could go to a store and, and buy something and be recommended a size that, you know, hey, we are confident this is going to fit the, you know, well, it's going to fit the way you want it to fit you. Now, I, I think you, you may have started to go down this path just now, but so those are some of the benefits to the consumer. What does the business now get out of it, right? All of this data they now have access to, how do they use it and how do they uh, use that to benefit to the consumer? Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna transition to the, we've talked a lot about the Fit 3D side of the house, Yeah. but I'm gonna transition more into the wear side where we where we talk about like how we work through the apparel side. So a lot of the benefits of the consumer we, we talked about, right? But the benefits to the, uh, to the brand or the merchant are, are probably even bigger. I mean, when you think about things like how is this product designed, right? Um, and if you go through the whole, it's called the technical design journey and pattern blocking for brands, again, they're, basically guessing based on what sells and what doesn't sell or standards that were created from these companies like 10 plus years ago on tiny little subsets of data. Um, and so they're making, these brands are making these really big multi-billion dollar inventory and supply chain decisions based on these tiny, maybe 10 to 18, maybe 20,000 body scans that were captured, you know, once every three to five years. And so we come in and we say, look, you know, we have millions of body scans that are constantly being captured. Um, and you can lean into this data set on a product design perspective to make sure that whenever you're designing um, these products made to fit a specific segment of the population, which we can carve out, here are the body shapes that are associated with those segments so that you can correlate them with your sizes, right? So that's a really big one, just getting product design right um, and having clear understanding of the body shapes of the shopper. The other one is inventory management, right? Let's say that, uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm, let's say I'm Gap, right? And I've got stores all over the nation. Um, and right now, I'm probably running my inventory based on prior history sales, but I'm not necessarily taking into account what should the inventory of a specific store be based on the body shapes and the body dimensions of the consumers that can actually shop in that store, right? So if you can start to weave these two things together and you say, all right, within this five mile radius of my store in Alpharet, Georgia, right? This should be my size run. And when this, in this five mile radius of my store in Seattle, Washington, this should be my size run based on the body shapes of the consumers that live there. I then have a better chance at full value sell through and a reduction of stockouts. 
right? And whereby massively increasing my bottom line, right? Because I have less waste. So I think that there's, you know, those are those are just two really kind of simple examples there, but they're multi-billion dollar opportunities, right? Just getting inventory, right, for crying out loud, is a huge opportunity for these brands. It's crazy. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, to your point, right, it's not even just about knowing what are the dimensions of the consumer so we can make clothing that fits, but it's even thinking, right, more long term about, you know, in this particular geographic region, what does the human body generally look like in terms of its life cycle, right? And having that data, to your point, is immensely valuable if you have the people that know how to interpret it and how to actually put it into action. Um, I just had another thought. I'm, I'm losing it. But so, you know, it sounds like, you know, the technology is fairly complicated, right? You were doing a PhD, you know, with, with sensor technology. Um, that's something I have no understanding of personally. How do you go about communicating, you know, the technical IP to your customers um, when you're actually having these conversations? Because I'd imagine a lot of the CEOs, the COOs probably don't really understand the technical portion. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that um, it's a it's different based on time, right? I think that CEOs and COOs and CMOs and whatever else, they're pretty smart these days. Um, and based on all the tooling that we need just to run a business in the digital era, um, they kind of get a lot of these types of things, which is pretty cool. Uh, it makes it a lot of fun to talk to. But regardless of how technical somebody is, I'll never forget, I had a, a meeting where we were... Um, we had a solution called the zone evaluation system back in my days with Sport Vision, right? And we were basically grading umpires based on how they called balls and strikes because, again, we were tracking that data, right? And I sat there in this meeting. I think I was, I don't know, probably 25, 26 years old at the time. And I'm telling these umpires, the World Umpires Association, the, the WA, like how they're going to be evaluated based on this. And one of them stood up. He threw his pen down the table and he was like, what the hell are you talking about? Take the propeller off of your cap and talk to us in real baseball terms. And like, I'll never forget that moment, right? Because it told me more than anything, like no matter how much knowledge I have about the specific technical bits of a subject, it doesn't matter if I can't communicate it well. And so I think when we talk to um, our prospects and our customers, when we talk to shoppers about what this thing looks like, it's not necessarily about being complex. It's about helping them understand why we're doing what we're doing and how it's going to benefit them and giving them enough information that they trust that we are a differentiated service, but not necessarily going way down this rabbit hole unless they want us to, right? And at that point, then you need to have the ability to go down that hole, but you don't start with it, right? You really lean into like, what's your problem? Here's why I think you have the problem. Let's talk about how we have the unique solution to that problem. Um, and that's been really, really beneficial, right? Just Keep it simple. <laughs> yeah. No, keep, yeah, like in the words of Michael Scott, right? Keep it simple, stupid. Totally. <laughs> no, I, I love the example you just gave there because there's so many times where I'll be sitting down to like, you know, write a blog or some piece of content and I'll get halfway through it and realize, well, this makes 100% sense to me, but any random Joe Schmo off the street's going to look at this and have absolutely no idea what I'm talking yeah. <laughs> about, right? Um, so it's, it's interesting. It's a, it's a good point. I like the example you just gave. Um, so... You know, looking a little bit more at the fashion industry, right, which seems to have problems that are, you know, fairly unique to a lot of other industries. Um, COVID had a massive impact across, you know, consumer product goods, across electronics, home furnishings, you name the category. How was fashion and apparel affected, whether differently or, you know, in a unique way by COVID? Yeah, I mean, that's a, you know, there's, I think there's the things that are normal. Um, you know, supply chain was a big problem. Um, a lot of our customers had a really hard time getting inventory 
at the right times, right? Uh, that was common for all retail, um, all products in that matter. Um, but then there was also this explosion in D2C um, e-commerce or just D2C apparel in the first place. So you had things that were changing. People were wearing less formal wear. They're going to more casual athleisure wear. I mean, you know, the black t-shirt and jeans is now sort of the business suit of the camera, <laughs> which is where we spend most of our time these days. Um, and so like fashion was just changing in terms of like what was important um, and what consumers wanted. But then there's also this big differentiation um, in what consumers had, what they expected from these brands, right? As you start to get to this world where wholesale was now no longer the necessity for success for these apparel brands, you had so many direct-to-consumer brands popping up all over the place. Um, and so, because Shopify allowed them to do so, Clavio allowed them to do so, Yachtpo allowed them to do so, right? You have all these tools that you can basically just plug in, and as long as you can find product, you can sell it online. Um, and then you just needed a marketing brain behind you to figure out how to actually advertise it. So now you no longer had this channel that you had to cater to to get your goods to market to create a successful company. And you see the rise of direct-to-consumer e-commerce that went nuts. I mean, it was, it was so much fun to see. Um, I think if you looked at the number of apparel e-commerce stores pre-COVID and post, I mean, it's almost like a one and a half to two X gain, um, which, is, which is crazy. So then that came down to like, all right, the industry is changing. We now have a direct path to customers and consumers, but now we need to convert them, right? Now we need to have the tools um, on our site to make sure that it's an engaging experience. And you know, what we saw with Wear is that, I think it was, it was pretty, pretty crazy numbers, but it's like 35% of all abandoned carts are because of size confusion, right? I'm not sure what size I am, therefore I'm not gonna actually commit to this deal. And then it was something like 72% of all returns were for size and fit reasons. I mean, this is huge, right? And so now, instead of really relying on these tools that have been around since the 1950 Sears catalog for crying out loud, it's like, all right, we need to up-level our game, which has been a big boost to our business and other businesses that really help to engage that experience, right? Allow these little brands to compete on a tooling level with the Macy's and the Nordstrom's and the Saks that are out there uh, and do very well, frankly. So yeah. lots of lots of evolution um, in the space, it was, but really fun to see. And it's fun to see how it's continuing to go too. I, I hope that uh, the D 2 C market continues to hold on the way that it is. No, it is really cool to see how many people you know they listened to the entrepreneurial voice in their ear over this past few years, right? Yeah. And they you know quit their job to go all in on their side hustle, or they started doing something. And you know there are tons and tons of companies that I've bought from. Then I don't go to really Amazon for that kind of stuff anymore. But it's interesting you make that point about what percentage of clothing purchases are returned because. I don't really buy a lot of clothes online, but I do this, and I'd imagine a lot of other people do too, where mm -hmm. you buy multiple things with the express intention that you're going to return them, right? right? And then for those right. companies, it's not just about a product getting returned. It has to get cleaned. Sometimes it may have to get junked altogether, and then that's just cost, right? That's just waste. Um, so I think to your point, any opportunity to drive down those costs, right, this seems like a great opportunity to do so. Now... You know, you talked about trends, and it's really exciting to see the change that has happened in this in this industry, but also the stuff that you know maybe is is still to come. What are some of those trends that maybe are coming down the pipe or, or haven't occurred yet that you kind of have your sights on, and maybe you're particularly excited about? Yeah, I think there's there's two that we're watching very closely um, that I think we're pretty excited about. One is 
it's tough. Uh, so I don't, I don't know that it's going to be any time in the near future, but one of the ones that um, people always focus on is mass customization, right? The notion that I can buy a product from a brand built for me. Um, now, <laughs> that gets really complicated when we start to figure out supply chain and everything else, but there are companies like Unspun Tech that are working on you know, customized weaving and customized knitting of garments um, such that you can create these factories that actually can produce things, things really quick. Um, now, what you have to have in order to make that happen is the consumer's body, right? You can't customize something to them if you don't have an understanding of their body. And so no matter what the future looks like, the reality is, is that you must have a way to digitize a body and you must have a way to do it frictionless, right? It can't be this big, audacious, horrible experience that you go to while you're shopping something. It's gotta be snappy and quick, right? Because that's how we've built our world. So <clears throat> mass customization is one. The other one is virtualization. Um, and so when you're starting to look at like um, size and fit recommendation right now, again, it's such a critical piece of the shopper's journey. Being able to maybe not necessarily drape, but somehow experience that garment on either a body that's like mine or my body on screen is something that's really, really interesting. And so, um, <clears throat> again, those two things are the things that we're watching very closely, mass customization and virtualization. And where we sit in this whole thing is that both of those require the shopper's body to be digitized. And we've built all the tools. <laughs> um, I mean, so many of them are sitting on the shelf for crying out loud um, that have the capabilities of digitizing the human body and then owning that experience, right? Which is what we're really, really excited about. But those are those are two big ones that I'm, I'm, no, I'm really- No, I, I appreciate the level of detail you just went. I mean, it's, ob it's, it's obvious that you think about those very regularly. Um, you know, I'd, I'd be curious to know, I imagine that in the, the years that you've been in business, there probably is, is some competition. I mean, I don't really know of much, many other solutions that do what you're doing, but how does how does wear stay the front runner in this race, right? I mean, the, the problem seems to have been identified. It seems like there's buy-in from the, the business level that this is a real problem that needs to be solved. Do you guys just have the benefit of the years of, of Head Start and all of the, the equipment that's collecting this data or what's going to keep wear on top? Yeah, it's, it's funny that you put it that way. Um, I would actually categorize us as a fast follower, um, not necessarily the initial driver in that space. I think there's some companies out there like TrueFit, Fit Analytics, um, and some other folks that, you know, they've been in the um, size recommendation and fashion recommendation space for, gosh, probably eight to nine years. I think the reality is, is that we had the foresight to realize that they didn't have the data sets that were capable of empowering their solutions to solve this problem in the long term. And so where we looked at this problem is, let's go get the data first. We need to understand the human body. And once we control that, right, and we have this exclusive data set that is 50 times bigger than any other, then it was like, all right, now we can build solutions on top of that at such a pace that nobody can keep up. Um, and we had the leverage to look at how they were trying to solve these problems. And also, uh, again, the, um, the network to ask whether or not those problems were being solved by those solutions. And we crafted our solution to be different, right? We crafted it to actually solve the problem for the shopper and then utilize that data, which had never before existed for these brands and merchants. And so for us, right, one, we're growing really fast. We're stealing a lot of business from them. 
but moreover, we become this engine that you plug in. It's not just solving one problem. We are solving sizing in totality for a company. And that's really unique. It just doesn't exist anywhere else, right? So we we really classify ourselves as fast followers. And I think our vision is just really strong, right? I think we know what we're doing. Um, we know how to do it. We come from ridiculous technical backgrounds um, on the entire founding team. So we can build anything, right? It doesn't really matter. It really comes down to like, what is the most simple, pragmatic way to solve both the shopper's problem and our customer's problem? And let's go focus on that and then let's build the vision for the future. So that's, that's kind of how we look at things. No, I, lo- I love that. And that, that was well put. And I, I especially love the emphasis on how important data is, right? Because a lot of conversations that I'll be in, you know, with, with smaller companies, brands, manufacturers, you know, will mention the importance of data and automation and technology. And a lot of times they say, you know, yeah, that's, that's for the bigger guys. That's, you know, we're, we're too small for that. Well, I mean, if, it was already becoming a thing before COVID. And if COVID has made any, everyone realize one thing, it's the importance of data, right? And so it's especially critical given, you know, what you guys are doing and the value you're providing to both sides of the market, right? The business and the end consumer. And hopefully I can get a t-shirt that, you know, the sleeves fit well and it actually looks good on me. Um, you well, got to keep building those guns and then I think you got it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I got to start building those guns. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, well, Greg, uh, no, I think- Nate, real quick to that point, yeah. you know, I, I think it was actually a famous investor that said this, but I, I know my, one of my investors said it, so I remember it as Leonid Zygolovsky said this, but um, he was like, look, data is the new oil, um, and if you're creating a company that does not have a constant flow of the data you need to drive your company, you will eventually get outrun, um, and, I, and I think that was a really profound statement um, that we really took to heart. Um, but it, it's really, it's really, really interesting as far as that goes, because so many companies out there have to pay ridiculous amount of money for data capture, basically get paid to capture data. Um, so yeah. it's very unique in that sense. But, uh, but yeah, totally. Data, data is absolute king. So it's really no, cool. well said. And I, and I like that because if you don't have oil, then people who know how engines work know what happens in that situation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Well, we'll uh, there, but we're getting there. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, uh, well, Greg, I need to go figure out where I can find one of, one of your machines so I can get my body skin so I can start buying some clothes that fit better. But, um, you know, this has been a really interesting conversation. If anything that we said, you know, resonated with our listeners, where can they get, you know, in touch with you or, um, you know, check out all 3d, uh, fit, Fit 3D, all 3D? I'm really coming <laughs> yeah, up my 3D. brain over here and where. Yeah, no worries. A lot, a lot of deep talk here. Um, yeah, so so to look for body scanners, go to fit3d.com. Again, they're predominantly used for health and wellness. And then to go look at which, um, which brands that we work with that are boosted by wear, um, you can go to getwear, W-A-I-R.com. Um, and then look at our customer success page because we really list out a lot of our customer journeys in there. But Tons of companies are starting to come wear enabled and you don't actually need a scan to utilize the technology, which is really cool. It's all predictive. It's fun. Awesome. Very cool. Well, Greg, I really appreciate you sharing your time with us uh, and I look forward to having you on the show again in the future. Awesome. Nate, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Great to talk with you. That's it for this episode of e-commerce with coffee powered by Amber engine. If you haven't gotten your fix yet, be sure to get more e-commerce brand secrets on our website at amberengine.com. And don't forget to subscribe for more episodes. 